Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about spiritual food. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good time ringing in the new year, and I also hope that as you go into 2019, you're considering some ways that your life might get better this year. I really like the new year for being a time when we can start new things that will benefit us or restart some things that maybe we haven't done in a while that will help us grow. And as part of that, I really hope that you are considering what might grow you spiritually in the next year. And maybe as you consider that idea, listening to sermons will be a part of it. Maybe even listening to our sermons at Creekside will be a part of it. If that's true, then I would really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, our sermon podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're anything like me, it's hard to remember to check in and see the latest episodes of podcasts unless you've hit the subscribe button and you're getting a notification that a new episode has gone live. And so I really hope that you'll that you'll subscribe. If you'll do that, it will help you remember to listen to them, but it'll also help others learn about our podcasts. Leaving a rating and review does that as well. And so if you have a minute, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. And I hope that all of my sermons this year will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hey, good morning, everybody. I am Chad, the pastor of this church. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue to talk about spiritual food. I'll start with the confession. It was not my best Bible reading week this week. Uh, The uh, other guy who speaks here, one of the other guys who speaks here and preaches on Sunday mornings, Matt, who's my brother-in-law, he's been on a cruise. Uh, He is a teacher, so he took two and a half months off in the summer and now another 10 days in January thinking about switching jobs. Um, And (laughs) tell him I said that. Yes, thank you. I can only say that because we prayed for the teachers a couple of weeks ago here and how difficult of a job they have, uh, but it sure seems like he has it easy. Anyway, um, so I taught for him three times this week, so I was doing his job and my job all in one, and, uh, and so I was just going from like, you know, early morning until late at night almost every day of, of this week, and I was tired, and, and I did read the Bible, but, uh, you know, not, not a lot of it, and, and that's okay. Uh, That's what I I tell you that for, just to make myself feel better. But uh, God doesn't give us time restrictions or settings for how often we need to read the Bible. Uh, I said at the beginning of this series that the goal is not at all to say uh, you should read the Bible more. The goal is, when it comes to the Word of God, uh, the goal should be to want to read it more. And the whole series, this whole series, uh, what we're trying to do is, is I, I'm trying to do this. I just give you reason to want to read the Bible more. I understand there are seasons and times when it's more difficult to do that. I mean, the hardest time for me to read my Bible at all was like the first six months of uh, after my son Hudson was born. And 
Uh, we had two kids, you know, and like two and under, and uh, just felt like we were going to die all the time, and uh, trying, and this happened, this is real, and maybe some of you parents have experienced the same thing, it didn't seem to matter how early I got up to try to read the Bible and pray, my kids would get up just earlier, and so it's like, what am I going to do, I'm going to start waking up at midnight to try to read my Bible, and then my kids will be up at 12.05, like, we're awake, Hudson couldn't say that at three months old, but you know, he would just scream, and so it was a very difficult time in life, and, and again, I don't think God's looking down and saying that's, that's wrong, that's bad. There are seasons in life where it's just difficult to find enough time to read the Bible. But the big question is, how much do we want to read it? And, and the passage we're going to look at this morning is the most important, I think, in this series of, of sermons. And uh, it's the most important because I think it stands kind of at the center of, of what uh, is theoretical and what is practical in this series so far we've talked about how Jesus is the bread of life and our souls will never be satisfied apart from coming to him but we've also seen that what bread is to the body the word of God is to our souls as we try to abide in Jesus to continue to stay connected to Jesus in order that we might be satisfied deeply in our souls we have to come to the word of God because God has provided it for us and it is one of the best ways that we can stay connected to him. We're satisfied by coming to Jesus, but we continue to be spiritually satisfied by reading the word of God, specifically the Bible. And all of that says like, hey, this is important, this is good, I should, I should, I should. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter gives us this this command really, and, and the command is, frankly, I'll jump to the point, it's about wanting to read the word of God more. And, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, but what's so cool about it to me is, is that he connects it to spiritual growth. And if you're a Christian, then you want to grow spiritually. And I don't even know if we always know what that means. And we're gonna talk a little bit about what it means in this series. But Peter says, look, hey, by the way, want to read the Bible more because through it, you can grow spiritually. And here's how he starts that. He says in 1 Peter 2, 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now this is connected to a, a call for love within the churches. If you were to go back uh, to 1 Peter 1, 22, it says now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. First Peter 2, 4 through 10 is about corporate growth, like how we grow together as a church family, how churches work together to become more like Christ. And, and he's already said love each other, and then he's gonna say this is how it looks in a corporate setting. But right in the middle of that, in our verses, he talks about individual growth, about the thing we must do if we are going to become more like Jesus, to love Jesus more, if we're going to move forward in our spiritual journey. And, and at the beginning of it, he says, you can't do the things that are unloving. There's this call to love, and then there's this list of things that we must do or avoid, excuse me, what we must avoid doing like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. All of these things are, are unloving. There's this call to love, and he says, don't do the things that are unloving. That seems pretty logical, right? But sometimes we forget that. As Christians, we have this... I don't know, I think it's just kind of a dumb thing that we do where we just, we just say, oh, I love everybody. 
But we don't really mean anything by that, right? What we, what we really mean is I should love everybody. I want to love everybody. But we'll talk about people behind their backs. If you're not a Christian, then, then one of the things that probably bothers you about Christians, maybe one of the reasons you're not a Christian is, is you've looked at Christians and you've said, wow, they sure talk about loving each other a lot, but there's a lot of slander and there's a lot of division and there's a lot of malice and there's a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of envy and, and it just doesn't seem to quite look like they claim it looks, like they're, they're loving each other. Jesus, in fact, says this is how people will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And here at the beginning of this little mini section on how we grow spiritually, Peter says, look, I've told you that you've been purified so that you can love each other and now you ought to love each other. But, but in order to do that, you have to take away, you have to remove from your life the things that are unloving. This list is interesting because it's a list of, of things that are hurtful to others. And love seeks that which is good for other people. And here he says, you just, the two, they can't. They cannot go together. And, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because, because it's not the point of this series. But, but the key, a key step, one of the key steps, if you're going to grow in your relationship with God, if you're going to become more Christ-like, a key step is to look at your life and ask yourself, where am I being unloving? Do I talk about people behind their backs? Am I a jerk to people? Do I do things out of jealousy? Jealousy? Is there envy in my heart? Do I lie to other people? Do I do things to others that are not unloving? And if you find things where that is true of you, then you find places where you are not being Christ-like. Sometimes we think it's very magical to grow spiritually. And in some ways it is. I'll come back to that in a second. It is not something that we can do on our own, but, but we can at least look at our lives and say, that's unloving, I should stop doing it. That's unloving, I should stop doing that too. And I think as you start to remove some of those things, you'll, you'll see growth in your life. But Peter continues in verse two and he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. When we become Christians, we are, to use language that Jesus uses, born again. Uh, Paul speaks often and frequently in, in the writings that he leaves for us in the New Testament of a new life in Christ. And uh, what we can forget, especially um, if we grew up in church in the late 80s through the 90s, we can forget that there is a process that comes after we are born again and have this new life in Christ. What we've done in the American church is, is we've just expected that after a person becomes a Christian, everything is okay. Uh, we've forgotten that there is a growth process. We've forgotten, frankly, in churches that we should help people in that growth process. And we've said, look, we got them into heaven, and that's good enough for us. This was the movement in the 90s uh, to evangelize people, but in the churches I grew up in and, and, and frankly, the church culture uh, that was common at the time I grew up, it, it was very much driven by just getting people to the point of salvation and, and very not driven um, by, by helping people grow once they had become Christians. And, and Peter doesn't want us to do that. He's already said in 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again. He picks up on Jesus' language. He says, this is a new life. This is a new life. 
And that's what it is as Christians. We spend all of the time up until we become Christians learning how to live in a certain way with all the sin, but navigating through all that sin in order to live a life that is deemed good or, you know, successful or whatever. And, and we may forget this if we've been Christians for a long time. I know I'm guilty of that. But we, when we give our lives to Jesus, must now start again in many ways and learn how to live a second time. It's a challenge. I think that people who who become Christians later in life, they have it better and worse when it comes to this because it's so clear for them how they ought to live differently if somebody becomes a Christian later in life. But at the same time, they're really entrenched in the ways that they've been doing it for a long time. And it's hard to break free of those things that they know they ought not do. No matter where you've started, the key is to remember that when you became a Christian, if you became a Christian, you started a new life. And in that new life, just like in a physical life, when a baby is born, we ought to grow. If a baby doesn't grow, we know that that's bad, that it leads to death. It's sad for the parents and everybody who's close to that little child. It's not normal or healthy or good. It's a part of of this fallen world when a baby does not grow physically. And it's not normal or right or good and it should break our hearts when a person who has given their lives to Christ, who has become a a new creation in Christ, who is born again, does not grow. But we seem to accept it as as normal. I just just think about this in my own life, I think about this. But I think about it for people in our church and I hope we're helping. But I I think about just this, this little question like, Am I the same as I was a year ago? Am I the same as I was five years ago? Am I the same as I was 10 years ago? And I hope, I hope uh, that the answer is no, I'm not the same because I'm growing. I hope that the people closest to me, my wife being the the most specific, uh, could say to you that the Chad that I married almost 10 years ago is, is not the same as the Chad that I'm married to today because I can see all of these areas where he is, he just serves Jesus better, serves Jesus more fully, he looks more like Jesus. That should be our goal. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. That, that word holy and its most basic definition of the Greek word that translates it is different. And, and, and what God is calling us to is to be different than, than the world and to be different like he is different in his, in his incredible nature. A big part of spiritual growth is becoming more like God. Peter's laid forth that groundwork. It's to be different like God. And when you think about your life and your spiritual journey, if you've become a Christian, then, then you should be moving daily, monthly, yearly, you should be moving towards being more different and different like God is different. We can see that and how that plays out in the real world, and this is such a blessing that we forget about, in the life of Jesus, right? It's not like we're aiming at some being that we can't see, that we have no idea what he's like. We can turn to the pages of Scripture and see the life of Jesus who lived here on earth as a God-man, and we can say, that's what it looks like to look more like God. That's what it's like to be different like God. And we can start to move towards being more Jesus-like. 
We should be moving as Christians towards being more Jesus-like. And here, Peter says that one of the ways that we do that is by craving pure spiritual milk. What is milk in this passage? Well, there's some debate about that, but uh, I, I believe it is the Word of God. Some people, the other probably most common view is that it is God and interaction with God, but even people who say that would say surely the Word of God, the Bible, is a part of that because that's the clearest and easiest way that we can interact with God. And, and so here, milk... I believe is the word of God. One author said, the use of milk as a symbol of spiritual nourishment is found in Judaism and other religions. It would have been immediately familiar with Peter's readers. The author of the Qumran hymns describes sons of grace as opening their mouth as a babe to its mother's breasts and as a child delighting in the breasts of its nurses. I don't think we'd ever have that in our hymns anymore. Uh, but nonetheless, it shows how the people thought about connecting to God through his word. Last week we talked about this threat that's made in the book of Amos where God looks down at his people and says, if you don't love and respect my word, then I might take it from you. I will take it for you for the Jewish people. And, and when we put those two together, those things, we see that, that, that the most nourishing thing for our souls is the words that he gives us. And it appears here that milk is referring to that. Uh, it was commonly used for religious teachings. There's good reason uh, to see that the Christian religious teachings, specifically the scripture, are in mind here. And there's several reasons for that. I want to give them to you briefly. The word of God was just mentioned in Peter. You can go read 1 Peter 23 through 25. I'm only going to give you two of those verses. The first one and the last. For you have been born again, like I read earlier. Not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 1.25. And this is the word that was preached to you. That's the last thing said at the end of chapter 1 before we turn the page and look at our passage and so Peter has in mind the word of God, the living and enduring word of God. Throughout scripture, in the first passage we saw in, in this series, and, and throughout the entirety of scripture, we see passages that point to the nourishing word of God. We've talked about how Jesus declares, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just like a newborn baby cannot live without milk, we cannot live without the words of God. And this passage speaks of the purity of the word of God and the longing for the word of God, which they did in the Old Testament, Psalm 12, 6, and the words of the Lord are flawless, Psalm 119, 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. We're going to talk about that in just a second, that, that word longing, but before I do, if this is about the word of God, it's really important that you see that description there, that the word of God is is pure. And one of the reasons that I believe and that we believe as a church that, that the Bible is such an important thing for your souls is that we believe it is, it is this document that is inspired and infallible and authoritative on matters of life and theology and living and all of that. I talked about last week uh, some of the things that we believe about the scriptures that is inspired, it is the inspired word of God, but here Peter adds a nuance. As the inspired word of God, it is infallible. That means that it's right. It's 
That's the simplest way I can define that. And when we turn to Scripture, we are not getting some some just man-written document that we maybe can trust, maybe can't trust. We are getting something that is always authoritative and right for our souls, something that we can follow without hesitation or without question. I've told you this story before, but I had, I had a hero once, and, um, and he, he was my youth pastor. I looked up to him in a, a thousand ways, and uh, one day I was helping, I was a volunteer with this youth group, and, and after youth group was over, uh, a kid asked a question that cannot be answered in, in just a sentence, but we both tried. He said, does the Bible contain errors? And I said, no, and he said yes, and it launched into this argument that lasted really for weeks, um, but, but was displayed publicly in front of a bunch of high school kids, sadly. Uh, and, and what he said in that that I'll never forget, um, he said, well, yeah, the Bible is inspired, just like C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien or any Christian author is inspired. That's not what the Bible declares about itself. That's not what I believe I think that is a dangerous viewpoint. C.S. Lewis can be wrong. I'm sure C.S. Lewis was wrong on a lot of uh, points in his life. Uh, And I can be wrong when I stand up here and speak to you. Any Christian author, whether you like him, you know, a lot or not, can be wrong. Uh, But the Word of God is right. It's right. And we must believe that if we are going to truly long for it. But it's interesting that Peter, before he says, in the midst of saying to you, hey, long for this thing, long to take in the Bible, the word of God, he says it's pure, it's good, it's from God, and it's for you. And so he looks at them, and he says, long for it. And he says to do it, there's two things that really emphasize this here. Like newborn babes. My children are still pretty young, and I can tell you that they didn't stop eating for about the first year of their life. It's all they wanted to do. Uh, I'm not sure my children liked me for about a year. Don't tell them I said this. I wasn't sure I liked them for about a year. (laughs) I loved them. I took care of them. I was there for them, but it's not very fun every time you pick a creature up and they scream for somebody else. You know what I mean? Dads know what I mean. It's like, oh, I love you. Like, ah! just like that you know except Hudson couldn't say mom in a month either but you know what I mean uh, and 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 nobody had to tell my kids to to want milk nobody had to teach them to want milk they wanted it and it's frankly all all they wanted they definitely didn't want to sleep but they wanted milk uh, babies long for milk eagerly and frequently they want it more than they want anything else and they want it all the time. And, and I don't think it's uh, a mistake that Peter uses this description to talk about how we should long for the word of God. We should long for the word of God eagerly and frequently. But he also uses this, this really strong word uh, that is crave. Wayne Grudem says it means an intense personal longing. The Bible.org, which is a great website if you're trying to study the scriptures, the Bible.org, check it out. It, it says that this Greek word that translates um, crave means to desire earnestly. A major part of growth in the Christian life is just wanting to hear from God through his word. Passionately, frequently, constantly 
wanting to hear from the Word of God. A guy named I. Howard Marshall says they should not be like children who eat milk puddings, which they don't really like because they have been repeatedly told by their mother it is good for you, but more like children who consume ice cream with gusto. The newborn child does not interact much with its new environment, but right from the start, it ardently desires milk. Christians should show the same eager desire for the spiritual equivalent. They should, to change the metaphor, be hooked on it. So I brought uh, two things that are not going to illustrate this as well as I was hoping. Um, If you can see, you can see the picture on the outside of this thing that I brought for you. And you can see what it looks like on the inside. Um, This was supposed to be the appetizing thing in my illustration, but I'm not sure it's working right now. However, look at this. And also, weirdly enough, when I was checking out, I felt a little uncomfortable because I was buying a loaf of white bread and and this, and it, I don't know, it made me seem like a a bad person. Um, I'm not sure why. It was just a weird combination of food items. And, uh, And she said, oh, those are so good. I was like, what? Uh, and she said, they, they don't look like it, but they are. And so uh, I just would ask this question, I guess, if you can pretend that this looks like a croissant. Do you view, do you view the word of God like the end of a white piece of, uh, a white loaf of bread, or, or do you view it like a croissant? Uh, croissants are good, right? Like not this one, maybe, but it does have chocolate filling in the middle, which (laughs) does not look good either. Um, That was supposed to help the illustration. We'll just keep it closed for a second. Um, There's a a restaurant in Salem called the Croissant Company. It's super good, you know. Nobody ever called their place the White Bread Company. Like that that just wasn't appealing. And and, I mean, you go in there and the smell is incredible. And I actually, I don't know if this is because I've been gluten-free so long, but I hate the smell of of white bread now. I don't even like going in the bread. That might just be unique to me, but I hate the smell of white bread at at the aisle of bread at the grocery store. It kind of grosses me out at this point. But I think this is how... Most Christians I know view the word of God. They're like, it's filling for me. I know that I should eat it. It's a good idea. So I'll grab on and I'll take a bite. And, and really the way that we should think about the word of God is like a different croissant uh, that has butter on it. And I'll take the chocolate too, but different chocolate. And it's sitting there and it still has the same nutritional value. And I know we can debate the nutritional value of bread. It's God's fault. He used the metaphor. But, um, but it's, it's good. Like not just good for you, but it's, it's good. And, and the sad reality is that I think most of us who are not growing are not growing not because we need some, you know, amount of time that we're reading the Bible. And, and I talked about this at the beginning of this series. Like maybe you have a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible more this year. I'm going to try to read 100 chapters a day. That's how people start in January. Or, you know, I'm going to read one chapter a day. I'm going to do a devotional or whatever. Maybe you've set those goals. But it's not the right goal. The right goal, the right thing for your soul is, is to try to learn to love Scripture more. The people that I know that keep on growing and growing and growing and they're the most mature Christians I know, the most fully developed, the strongest Christians I know, they're not people who, who 
say, I need to read the Bible more. There are people who say, I want to read the Bible as often as I can. I think we've stunted growth because we, we, we just, we take it one of two ways. We make the Bible very unimportant or, or we make it this thing that we have to kind of try to read. And, and here Peter says, long, desire, like a baby desires milk, the word of God, so that you may grow through it. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. Uh, Jim Samra, uh, who wrote a commentary on this book and, and happens to be a mentor of mine, says, well-fed babies grow better than undernourished babies. The same is true for our spiritual life. We, we, we can't make ourselves healthier, right? But we can do certain things that help the process along we eat right and then we're dependent on our bodies to turn that into a better heart or you know better digestive system better lungs whatever it might be and the same is true in our spiritual lives we don't grow ourselves we can't grow ourselves any more than we could save ourselves but we can do certain things that God will use in order to grow us, to make us stronger Christians, healthier Christians, Christians that are more like Christ. And Peter says to us, one of those things is not reading the Bible more, it's, it's desiring the word of God in a stronger way. I mean, just think about this, like even in the smallest way, 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like, if you want to read the Bible more, then you will read the Bible more, and, and at the very smallest, kind of uh, least metaphysical way, you're just, you're gonna know God better. You're gonna know about Him more at least. You're gonna understand His grace better. And so Peter says, look, if you want to grow, if you care about that at all, then you got to get rid of the things that are unloving. And after you get rid of those things that are unloving, desire the word of God. Desire it like a baby desires milk. Now you go, okay, well, commanding my desires is difficult. It's not the only place in scripture, interestingly, and they're kind of hard passages to preach on because... Like, if you're like me, you're like, I want to or I don't want to, you know? Like, I'm either, that sounds fun, that doesn't sound fun, that sounds like a nice trip, it doesn't sound like a nice trip. It's like looking at somebody who, who doesn't like Mexican food and saying, like Mexican food? It's like, uh, no, you know? Like, how, what does that look like? But, but Peter doesn't leave us in the cold on how to curb our desires because he says in verse 3, this very important thing. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is a direct quote of the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament uh, in Psalm 34, 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It has a parallel in Hebrews 6, 4, and 5. It is possible, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and then it goes on. If you're a Christian, then you've tasted the greatness of God. 
you know his grace, you know his love, you know his forgiveness, you know his peace, you know his uh, ability to bring reconciliation and hope and, and, and a longing for heaven, you know. You know how he's helped you in your daily life and broken you free from sin and how he's helped you become a better person and a, a person that loves more and you know these things, you've tasted it, right? You've tasted it. And Peter says, long for the word of God because you have tasted God himself and how good he is. I think what we forget about the word of God, unless we're having an academic debate, is that the word of God is an extension of God. And when we open its pages, we don't find like a list of rules. We find the heart of the one who has saved us and who has given us all of these incredible things gifts it's like we open the bible and say oh here i go again but god's like i gave you this gift and you know how good i am so crave it it's an extension of me Howard Marshall says again, this reflects the common Christian belief that in the word we meet with the Lord himself. Wayne Grudem says, to drink the milk of the word is to taste again and again what he is like. For in the hearing of the Lord's words, we experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. Isn't that interesting? And uh, that's just an interesting idea. What if, uh, just what if, what if we just thought about the Bible as a gift from our Savior? Like, I know this Savior. I know all that he has given me. And, and he's, he's also, on top of all that, he's, he's given me this incredible gift. And I get to go to it on a daily basis. We talked about last week how it's more readily available in our culture than it ever has been in the history of the world. I can open it up in the middle of my day and and I can read it on my phone if I want to. In the middle of work, I can just really quickly pull up a verse and just hear, God, you love me, you're there for me, you take care of me. I'm a sinner, you saved me. I get to go to heaven someday. I just think, and and this is what Peter's saying, if we approached the word of God like that, then we would see the spiritual growth that we so long for, or maybe that you don't so long for, but you should long for. If you want to grow as a Christian, you have to do your best to desire the Bible. And you will learn to desire the Bible if you remember that it is an extension of the incredible grace and greatness and mercy and love that God has already provided for us. The Jewish people, um, about the time of Jesus, they would do this thing that I think is so good. When they, when they had their kids study the scripture, they would give them honey. And it, it was a reminder to them that that the Bible should be like that, this sweet thing that we get to ingest into our souls. David, when he writes in the Psalms, says that, that the word of God is sweeter, sweeter than even honey on the comb. He knew God and he wanted to hear from God because he knew God. 
That's my hope for us. This is the hope of, of this morning that, that you leave here and, you, and you've won. And even before you leave here, just right now, you would ask yourself and, and honestly ask yourself. Don't give yourself the Sunday school answer, the I'm supposed to think this way answer. He just preached about it answer. But like ask yourself, how do you view the word of God? Do you view it as this croissant that is buttery and warm and tasty and filled with chocolate? Or is it like the end of a white piece of stale bread that you kind of need to eat in order to have a better spiritual life and if you fit into the latter category then then i hope that you'll bow before god and you will ask god you'll say god i've tasted how good you are i know the benefits that you've brought into my life please help me to see your word as an extension of all of the great gifts that you've given me a reminder of all of the great gifts that you have provided for me. I'm gonna pray that that will happen. Lord Jesus, I ask that that we would be a church that loves your word, God, because we love you. I know there's a movement kind of in, in, um, I don't know, some emerging churches, God, to use a little bit of a dated term, where, where they where they try to kind of throw out your word and they say, well, we love, we love God, but there's been an overemphasis on his word. And, and God, I think that's what, what that's done is it's culturally caused us, God, to, to forget about your word for the sake of the experience. And what is valued in church today is, is music. What is valued in church today is, is what we feel. But we have undervalued how great it is that you have provided us with words. Words that remind us of who you are, words that help us grow in our, our understanding of, of who you are and, and an understanding of how gracious you are, words that give us a glimpse into uh, your incredible nature and character, God. Words that, frankly, uh, that if we didn't have them, God, we would not know you probably today, God. I thank you, God, that we have it so readily available to us, and I pray that we would long for it more and more and more, God. Turn us into a church that loves your word. God, do a work in our country and churches everywhere where, where people are loving your word, not, not for no reason, but because they love you and they've tasted how good you are. God, and, and I pray for anybody who hasn't tasted how good you are, who doesn't even know what I'm talking about when I talk about your grace and your mercy and your goodness, and I pray, God, that they would experience it, that you would, as I've prayed this week, that you would speak to their hearts and souls, and, and you just say, you just teach them and show them, God, by experience how incredible you are and how much you love them and how much you want to have a relationship with them. And I ask, God, that they would respond to that and give you their lives, and then they'd learn to love your word because they love you so much. I pray these things in Jesus' holy name, amen.